Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm, Pitcher List Podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. Happy 4th of July to those that celebrate. It's a rare holiday pod at On the Farm. Before we get into Major League Baseball Draft Madness, which hopefully will be in one of our upcoming episodes, I wanted to at least finish stock up and stock down in the National League. So today we end on the West Coast looking at prospects whose balloons are either filled with helium or have simply deflated out in the NL West. But as we always try to do, let's get into some prospect rundown. There were a couple more Major League debuts as Corey Lee of the Houston Astros played in his first game on Friday. He went 0-1. Lee has had an up-and-down couple of seasons as a prospect last year. He did go through three levels of the minors beginning at High A Asheville. He finished up at Triple A Sugarland. Uh, noticeably, his walk rates declined at each level while his strikeouts rose. So a story that we've seen from many a uh, uh, hitting prospect before. But his defense, um, especially his arm, still was looking above average enough to help boost his future value in most rankings. And going into this season, he was still pretty well regarded enough to be ranked number 97 in top 100 prospects by Fangraphs, number 70 by Baseball America on their list. So um, Lee was definitely still considered to be pretty valuable, but he has thus far underperformed those expectations, I would say, entirely. He has put up a 70 WRC plus along with a 303 Woba. Um, this weekend's promotion, I imagine, is more likely a result of the Astros' just general lack of catcher depth um, and really the lack of runway for Lee to continue to develop at the minor league level. There's really nothing. There's no other place to put him, obviously. And he's starting to look kind of like he is what he is uh, as far as a defensive catcher, but also as a hitter. Uh, he might be able to hit well enough to cross that low threshold that we see for major league catchers. Uh, currently, but I think his prospect value is pretty much at the lowest it's going to be. And unless you're in a two catcher league or a 20 plus teamer, um, I personally, I'd leave him alone for right now. See if the Astros plan to give him any regular at bats, which I don't necessarily see happening while they're firmly in their window as uh, title contenders, but also see if he's able to piece together at least a replacement level or maybe a better average or OBP, depending on which type of league you're in. And then, you know, based on that information, if he's getting regular ABs, if he's able to at least be replacement level at the plate with a few decent counting stats, then you can decide whether he's worth a pickup. But like I said, really, unless you're in a league where catching is a, is a big need for you, um, 
like I said, you know, two catcher leagues, obviously, or if you're in a very uh, deep league, I don't really see um, Corey Lee really being the value proposition that he was, especially around this time last season. Another debut that uh, probably served a very small amount of managers well, uh, if they were paying attention and needed to to make this pickup was Derek Hall of the Philadelphia Phillies being called up essentially to replace uh, Bryce Harper as he goes onto the IL with his broken thumb. And Hall really has not been, he's really been a, a non-prospect, uh, which is saying something, even in the Philly system, he was drafted in the 14th round of the 2016 draft and he's really just been toiling in the philadelphia farm ever since but he does get the call and he's done the most with it he has three games played as of today's recording he only has three hits but they've all been home runs and it's always fun to see a guy like this grab his opportunity i think for our purposes there is some limited fantasy value here his minor league numbers point to some pop uh he's consistently been able to hit double-digit home runs at every level since 2017. That includes him already being at 20 home runs so far at uh, AAA uh, for this season. And uh, his OBP and his K rates are at a level that indicates at least a a solid approach and some uh, overall plate discipline. So if you're in a deep league, you need a power corner infield bat, uh, maybe to replace an injured guy, or at least as a bench bat because you're kind of desperate. You're looking for somebody who's hot. Hall seems as good a pickup as any, especially because the Phillies have been batting him in the heart of that order. Uh, He's been batting cleanup, I believe, all three games, at least two of the three games, I know for sure. So he's going to get run-producing opportunity. Uh, Like I said, he's shown the ability to have some pop. He's not, uh, hasn't shown a bunch of strikeouts yet. Again, small sample size. Uh, So might be a name to at least, you know, keep in the back of your mind, like I said, if you're in a deep league and you need somebody who can get you some um, specific counting stats, especially when it comes to home runs, uh, like I said, OBP, maybe uh, he might be decent ad. So, you know, one or two category guy that might be Derek Hall this season. And last week, I already talked about Mark Appel and, and what, how I think that that's a pretty great story. Um, I was a little bit ahead of myself. He hadn't yet made his uh, MLB debut by the time we published uh, last week's podcast. I thought he was going to already have made his appearance. I was, like I said, a little bit uh, out in front of my skis on that one. But since last week, he has made two appearances out of the Phillies bullpen, two innings pitched, strikeout, one hit, no earned runs. So, Solid so far as low leverage uh, reliever. Again, just like I mentioned before, I'm still not seeing a bunch of fantasy value, but just to kind of put a nice um, sort of book in on that story, uh, Mark Appel officially a major league baseball player, officially in the books as having made uh, appearances. And so kudos to him with his uh, first major league strikeout as well. So that's going to conclude the prospect rundown. On the other side of the break, we'll have the NL West stock up stock down. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. And we're back. So the inner West is chock full of dynamic prospects in pretty much every team system. As a result, I want to dig a little bit deeper when it came to stock up. Uh, so I'm staying clear of some very obvious names. That means there's not going to be Ezekiel Tovar. There's no Corbin Carroll. There's no Estuary Ruiz. There's no Diego Cartea. Um, at this point, they're all known entities. If you're in a dynasty or keeper league, you should have already either made your move on them or you've watched the buy low window close. If there ever really was a buy low window on any of those guys. Uh, with that said, we are going to start in Colorado and it is going to be with an infielder on the left side, but he's not named Tovar. It's the wonderfully named Wilming Bernabell, uh, third baseman for Colorado. And Bernabell was signed in 2019 as a 17-year-old. And after two seasons of rookie ball, he earned his promotion to low A Fresno to finish out last year's season, 2021. He started 2022 back in Fresno, and he's continued to show promise. He's thus far put up a 9-10 OPS. That goes along with 10 home runs, 21 stolen bases. And he's consistently been able to show above average hit tool. Plate discipline specifically makes him valuable in an OBP league. Um, He's posted, even though it's only been three seasons, and we know competition at the lower minors, not necessarily the highest level. But he's posted sub-15% K rates through all three of his pro seasons. And his walk rate is at an all-time high now of 9.8. So, again, play discipline, showing the ability to take a walk, always showing the ability to uh, not strike out, which is a big deal for a guy that has some pop and some speed. You want him to be able to be able to use both those things, especially the speed on a base pass. His defense on the left side seems to be adequate. Um, he definitely seems to be capable enough as a third baseman uh, to continue uh, going up in the upper minors and at the major league level, he has good arm strength. His footwork allows him to at least make the plays that are expected of him. I don't think he would necessarily be an outstanding uh, third baseman defensively, but I think again, for for the most part, with a lot of third basemen, the the way I interpret a lot of the scouting that I see in third basemen is either prospects that are already in the minors or even trying to get ready for this year's draft, especially paying attention to scouting reports. A lot of times what it seems like scouts and evaluators are looking at is obviously the arm strength got to make the longest throw on the infield. Uh, but also how is their footwork? How's their reaction time? It's called the hot corner for a reason. You're going to be able to need to uh, get to balls, especially going to your right um, to be able to keep some balls from getting down the line, um, getting into the left field corner as doubles can they make those sort of plays? Can they, can they react that sort of way? Um, if a guy has more than that, if you're talking about he has really tremendous range, uh, you know, he might be a shortstop that's recently converted, that sort of thing. That's icing on the cake. But it's really looking at that reaction time. Does he have good footwork? Can he at least go to his left, to his glove side a bit so the shortstop doesn't have to cover up everything for him? 
Um, and then, like I said, does he have the arm strength to consistently get the throws over to the to the first baseman uh, to make those outs? And I think Bernabeu checks all those basic boxes. He's really impressed me this season with his consistency. If you look at his OPS in April, it's 924. May, it takes a bit of a dip to 876, which is still pretty good. In June, he finished up at 936. So he's consistently been able to put up uh, very good offensive numbers this year. I think he'll be moved up into high A as the draft continues to approach. And we talked about that before. Uh, teams starting to make space and you're starting to see some movement, some major league promotions, but also um, some upper minors promotions as well. And I think Brennan Bell will be on track to go from Fresno to high A. Um, in the Colorado system, like I said, pretty soon, he I think he's kind of shown that he can handle um, everything that Loe has to offer. So he needs that next challenge. And I think that will give us a chance to really see how he adjusts uh, to the to that next level as he finishes out his 2022 season. Moving to our next stock up, we're going to go out to L.A. where we are looking at Gavin Stone. Stone was selected in the fifth round of the 2020 draft by the Dodgers. And we know the Dodgers, obviously, they've been pitching rich uh, regarding prospects over the past couple of years. But Stone has really started to break away from the pack in terms of his production and what evaluators are seeing from him start to start. Production-wise, Stone began this year. He repeated high A um, after being high A Great Lakes last year. And in the six games in 2022, he's really shown a more refined, more developed uh, approach, especially in comparison to how he ended 2021. So in roughly the same amount of innings, we do see the K rate fall from 2021's rate of 44.6 to 2022's rate of 28%. So that seems like a steep fall. But his walk rate has remained at 6%. So he, he's been able to stabilize that. And he's definitely a more effective and efficient strike thrower. So even though you're not seeing necessarily big strikeout numbers like you're seeing at high A, you're seeing that he's becoming more effective, more efficient. That means that he's going to, he's showing the ability to pitch longer into games, which is obviously going to become even more valuable for you if you look at it from a fantasy standpoint, especially. Um, He's averaging 14 pitches per inning, uh, which is down from the 15.76 per innings pitched that he had at 2021. And his strike percentage, even more importantly, is up to 70 percent, which is two ticks up from the 68 percent that he was showing in 2021. So, again, uh, effectiveness and efficiency with throwing strikes, which you love to see. So the Dodgers moved him from high A to double A Tulsa now, and he's been just as brilliant. We see the K rate start to tick up a little bit more. And even more importantly, you're hearing uh, some reports from evaluators and analysts about how polished he looks, um, even in comparison to some of his peers like Clayton Beater or even Bobby Miller, who's really um, looked at pretty highly in the Dodgers organization. Uh, I think Miller may still be seen by Sun to be ahead of Stone just based on pure stuff. But I think Stone has been putting together starts that really indicate big league potential and really like middle, maybe not, I won't go as far as saying ace, but definitely that middle of the rotation, that SP2, SP3 um, type of ceiling uh, Stone is, is starting to show with his 2022 season. So from a fantasy standpoint, I definitely would 
um, A, I would bookmark his name in some deeper redraft leagues. So if you're in deep redraft leagues, you're trying to look at some guys that might make a splash in the major leagues in the second half. I think Stone is a good name to know. Uh, I Definitely with the way the Dodgers are, if he does make that leap, it probably would be either as a spot starter. Um, if there's a major injury um, or coming out of the bullpen, I know we've seen Daniel Hudson is already out for the season. So they're shuffling some guys around. If there's another couple of injuries uh, in the bullpen, you know, they start to look at arms elsewhere. Obviously, with it being the Dodgers, they can also potentially make a, a pretty big trade to get some guys to bolster their bullpen. So that's always in flux when you're looking at their prospects because they are they, they kind of have uh, the ability to go out and get what they need um, externally as well as build up internally. But I still would, like I said, bookmark Stone's name for redraft leagues uh, that are probably 16 uh, teams are, are bigger than that, and stuff. definitely if you have um, a, a lot of roster spots. And for dynasty managers, I, I don't know that the window is still open on Stone. I think it's kind of known how well he's been doing. If it is open in your league, definitely do what you can to grab him. If it's not, I think um, it's just worth to know that you're if you're trying to go out and trade for him, know that you're negotiating for a pitcher that's I think very likely to break into just about all the major top 100 to 110 type lists uh, to begin uh, 2023. So you have to really plan accordingly. If you have a, a manager who's savvy enough to understand the value that Stone has been building, then you're going to have to give a little bit more than you would have had to uh, say in April for Gavin Stone. So just be mindful of it. Doesn't mean that you can't make that trade. Again, I think he's going to be in the major sooner than later, but uh, just know that it's not your typical um, high A, new to double A sort of trade that you're making. Um, he's not that sort of prospect, I should say. He's somebody that's that's been building a lot more value and is probably going to make a big splash on a lot of rankings come 2023. Uh, all that being said, just like we kind of, I was kind of mentioning, um, Dodgers still have pretty formidable major league rotation. They have several high end pitching prospects. We talked about a couple of them just in passing, uh, but you know, you have Landon Knack as well. Um, so you have a, a few different guys that are all, you know, seen as, as being quite, quite capable and then has been, have been showing those numbers as well. And they're all in the upper minors, double A, triple A. Um, but I do think stone seems to be well on his way to LA sooner than later. And he has uh, a pitch mix three pitch arsenal that looks to be majorly ready and now that more mature approach on the mound uh, again that effectiveness and efficiency I think is going to serve him well and lastly for stock up we have James Wood from San Diego Padres Wood has been well known for his prodigious power since he was a prep baller at IMG Academy in Florida and at 6'7", 240 pounds he stands out almost like a left-hand batting Aaron Judge, just a very large young man. Um, in 2021, he was getting his feet wet in complex ball. He hit three home runs as an 18-year-old, but he did also yield a 32% K rate. And just as we talked about last week with Kevin Alcantara, anytime you have uh, a guy of this size, that long-levered hitter, expectations will always be around play coverage, their approach, 
um, how strong that hit tool is going to be. And for Wood, it looked, even though he's quite young, it looked kind of open and shut. It's going to, he's going to be large, power hitting outfielder, probably going to be destined for a corner because of his size. Um, he's going to give low batting average, but uh, he's probably going to be able to give you some pretty decent counting stats when it comes to home runs. It's going to be uh, a good bit of swing and miss in his game as well. However, in 2022, Wood has shown some serious development. Again, he's at low A, so you do have to kind of take it with that sort of grain of salt, but it's the type of development that you love to see, especially for a guy with this potential. So not only has he essentially uh, cut his K rate in half from 32% in the 101 plate appearances he had last season, now it's all the way down to 16.5%. He's also shown uh, the fact that he has some uncanny speed for, again, for a guy his size, um, not just his height, but when you think about being 240 pounds uh, on the baseball field, he's racked up nine stolen bases, and he continues to show range that may make it possible for him to stay in center field at least longer than what we probably um, expected originally. So as he you know gets older, you definitely could see you know 240 easily can thicken out into the 250s and on and it's kind of hard to think of a guy that's going to be in his you know 250 ish pounds that's going to be able to cover center field uh for most major league teams but like i said at least early on i think he can stay out there and then if he does need to make that shift into the corner um you know so be it that's that's not completely unexpected the other major pleasant surprise to me is been uh james woods of ability to hit to all fields so his pull rate and his uh, apple rate are almost even right around 37 percent so again we look at long levers young hitter uh, especially a guy with this sort of power the first thing you're going to think of uh, most expectations and assumptions are he's going to be pulling pretty much everything he can to get you know deep into his power and going away just isn't part of his game yet so far not the case with James Wood. And I think that that's great. Again, that just shows a bit more discipline, a bit more maturity at a younger age than what you'd expect. And that gives us a great building block for him to continue to develop as he goes up levels for the Padres. Like I said before, he is still in low A. So I know that there's still a few full seasons ahead of him before he really starts to threaten, I think, top 100 list. But if you're looking for a player to get in on the ground floor and really ride helium up i think wood is the perfect candidate for you with that said we're going to be able to shift to our stock down section and we're going to stay with young guy going back to colorado this is the highly touted high school bat of outfielder benny montgomery for the rockies and montgomery was the second of two high school bats that the rockies have drafted highly in back-to-back years and while zach veen seems to have adapted quite well um, spending 2022 at high A and looking quite good doing it. Uh, Montgomery has struggled, and he's also battled injuries at the low A level. And even though the reason for his most recent stint on IL hasn't been disclosed, it is worthy to know that he missed three weeks previously due to a quad injury. So it's possible that it was a re-injury here of the quad. Again, minor leagues, they're not super open about injuries unless it's uh, something like really obvious, like a guy getting shut down for a season. So we don't know what the recent stint is, but he has missed time before. So he has 
64 plate appearances kind of scattered throughout this season. He's only amassed five extra base hits to go along with 20 uh, strikeouts and three walks. So I think it's obvious that injury has played at least a part in this sort of suboptimal production. But uh, not only has it played a part in his production not being that strong, it also means he's losing precious development time that could allow him to adjust and get to that next level. Um, When you look at his first pro season of 2021, in the same number of plate appearances, or at least close to the same number of plate appearances as he has now, he definitely performed much stronger across the board. So that makes sense. This rookie ball is going to be guys all around the same age and skill set, roughly, um, as a, as somebody like Benny Montgomery coming out of high school. So he's kind of with his peers. Now he's in low A. You're going to have a few guys a little bit older. Now you're talking about guys that are in that college, college sophomore age uh, group, maybe a couple of guys a little bit older in that what would be like college juniors, um, depending on the team and, and the system. But this is where injuries really, really hurt prospect value because he just doesn't have the appearances, the at-bats to really show, can he break out of a slump? If he is slumping, what does a hot streak from Benny Montgomery really look like against some better competition? So uh, for me, he just needs he needs to get back to full strength and then just kind of grind out the rest of the season so that he you know, has some things that he can identify on tape for him to work on. He is another tall prospect. So he's shown more of the holes in different parts of his strike zone issue that we mentioned um, could be uh, at play with Wood or with Alcantara. You're seeing that with Montgomery, I think uh, more than those other two. Um, Montgomery is 6'4". And I think just the way mechanically he's set up with his swing, um, you're seeing that there's some areas that he's just not able to cover as well um, and is being able to be exploited uh, again when you take him out of uh, his his typical peer group and put him in low A. And if he you know goes up to the next level, it's only going to be exploited that much more. So there's some um, probably some timing tweaks and maybe some minor swing changes that could uh, be implemented to kind of increase his success there. I'll be honest here and I'm try I try not to pick on players because like what's the point? But I never was really impressed with uh Montgomery when uh in the lead up to him being drafted. If I'm being one hundred percent honest, him, um, Austin Hendrick, Zach Veen, uh there's one other outfielder that I'm blanking on. Uh but they were all drafted uh within the last couple of seasons and they all kind of seemed very similar. Uh, as far as their build, their game, um, and Veen just, he seems like he's the best of that bunch. And I think production wise, he's, he's shown it. Um, so I, I just, I'm not looking to get in on Benny Montgomery if he, uh, comes back healthy and he's able to, like I say, kind of, um, get on the heater and, and turn things around as we finish out. Uh, the second half of the minor league season. I think that's great. If you are a Montgomery believer and you already have him on your team, then right now I think your, your best bet is to hold because there is no value in trying to trade him unless somebody is really after the name brand. Um, so, you know, you can inquire if you know managers in your specific league, if if you picked up Montgomery and there was a guy that was like, oh, you know, I, I really, you, you kind of sniped him. Um, maybe you can broker a trade with that person. 
But otherwise, I think if you're a manager that has Montgomery on your roster, you just got to sit and wait, see what happens. If you don't have him on your roster, it's probably a reason for that. And I think you're okay with moving forward. There's other, um, especially at the low A level, there's definitely other prospects, especially in, uh, other outfield prospects that you can probably find for very cheap, uh, for free out in the wire that have, um, you know, pretty good potential and are at least showing better numbers than what Montgomery has thus far. And next is uh, Arizona Diamondback pitcher uh, Ryan Nelson. And Nelson is kind of unfortunate that he's on this list because he was a huge gainer, I think, in his value based on 2021's performance. Seemed to have morphed from somebody that was really considered more back and starter, really more of a reliever type, uh, maybe a high leverage guy, you know, setup, closer type, powerful fastball, slider mix, but not the command, not the additional picks, uh, pitches that would be needed for uh, uh, a more um, valuable starter. And he's kind of morphed from that profile into a potential middle rotation, again, SP3, maybe SP4 um, type of profile as he moved through high A and double A in 2021. However, once he was assigned to AAA Reno to start this season, He's seen some major regression throughout his game. The K rate uh, has come down more normalized level. I don't want to um, completely disregard the fact uh, that at AAA, it's going to be obviously much harder to get high strikeout rates. His K rate right now is 25.8, which is still, especially given, like I said, the level and the fact that he's in the PCL, which we've talked about before, as far as that being very hitter friendly, it's not terrible, but, um, and it's not terrible when you consider the fact that his walk rate seems to have stabilized right around 9%, uh, I think was uh, like 8% last season, maybe 8.5 or so. It's 9% right now. Uh, when he was at uh, high A, it was around 9%. So he seems to have stabilized it, maybe a little, a, a touch higher than what you would like. But still, that in of itself is not uh, awful. But major concern that came out this season uh, was that his fastball velocity seemed to have been ticking down uh, from its previous sort of 94 to 96 range um, from what I could tell and what I uh, could read up on. And now it seemed, uh, or more recently, it seemed to be in 92 to 94 miles an hour range. I have read a recent interview with him, and I believe it was in Baseball America. And I apologize if I'm misattributing uh, the interview. Uh, but it seemed to indicate that this was a mechanical issue uh, and not a physical one, which I think is is good um, and something that the Arizona development staff identified for Nelson has has him starting to work on um, shortening his release. So it sounded like his arm uh, was dragging a little bit, getting a little bit long, and that was causing uh, that fastball to take down some. So it's something that he's working on to regain his previous velocity. But that sort of question mark in having mechanics um, that are consistent, that's kind of part of why he was considered more of a reliever in the first place. Um, so that's not ideal, especially coming off of the heels of 2021. Also, a big thing that stands out to me is his strain rate, which is quite subpar, sitting at 60 percent currently and i think that directly informs his era and his fip uh which sit at 607 and 515 respectively so just a lot of base runners a lot of base runners that uh, are coming around to score 
he's not getting uh, strikeouts as much. And he kind of talked a, a, around this topic um, in that interview as well, that he's trying to regain that velocity so he's able to get um, the big strikeouts that he needs. I'm paraphrasing what he said here, but trying to regain that velocity to help him get those big strikeouts when he needs them instead of just inducing weak contact. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing with uh, the strain rate, the ERA, the FIP, more, um, more contact than strikeouts. And that contact has at least uh, been good enough to drive in those runs. Uh, so everything is kind of going up when it comes to um, him him giving up runs versus preventing them. And overall, I think while it's great that the pitching development identified this mechanical piece, I think we're still awaiting to see if Arizona really has made strides overall in their pitching development. Um, they have a current crop of pitching prospects, including Nelson, that we're waiting to see kind of how they develop them and are they going to be um, impactful at the major league level? I can't think of the last Arizona Diamondback pitcher that they've developed. Um, obviously, they have Zach Gallon, but I, I think you really have to, you know, I think Gallon is really more a product of Miami than he is Arizona. Um, and, and outside of that, like I said, I, there could be somebody very obvious that you guys are yelling at. Uh, me right now and I can't hear but I can't think of anybody uh, like I said recently that Arizona has actually developed whether it be a draft pick or um, somebody they picked up uh, through the minors and really built all the way up so this current group we want to see what happens um, Dre Jameson uh, Brandon Fott obviously Nelson to, to name a few guys we want to see what happens with them um, it could be a case with Nelson specifically that PCL environment is just is tough on the young arm. That plus, again, mechanical pieces, just, um, you know, some obstacles that he needs to overcome. And uh, it's very possible that he repeats AAA uh, next season or at least, you know, starts off his season in 2023 at AAA and he's he's better off for it. Um, if you believe in this 2021 and you think that's really who Nelson is, is or or where he leans closer to in his potential you probably can get him right now if you don't already have him for very little because i think um any managers that picked him up they're probably being dissuaded from uh that value that they thought they were going to get and you might be able to kind of get him uh for for really cheap if not for free if he hasn't already been cut loose and is just hanging out on the, on the wire for you um and for me, I was a huge fan last year. Um, I was kicking myself for trying to drop for dropping him um, for a moment so I could make roster space and then thinking I could pick him back up and he was already gone. Uh, but I'm trying to be a little bit more discerning this season. Uh, I mentioned that group that Arizona has that I'm waiting to see um, how they really uh, develop them and, and what their real value is going to be at the major league level. So I'm actually not pursuing Nelson like I was in the off season. Um, same thing for Fott, who I had for um, a moment and I actually dropped him and I know he's looking uh, pretty good uh, this season, especially recently. Dre Jameson's kind of been consistently good from last year to this year. Uh, again, all talent. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not. Just for me, with a team like that, it's kind of like Colorado. 
I kind of have to see that you've actually turned the corner. Um, I, I think the Orioles are in that same boat as well, especially when it comes to pitching. Like you have to show me that you guys really have turned the corner with how you're developing your pitchers, things that you're identifying, how you're integrating, um, you know, stat cast data metrics, et cetera, all, all the different um, analytical pieces, but also just the overall philosophy. Is that really um, starting to uh, bring you, positive major league results or is it really just kind of more of the same so i'm fine taking the wait and see approach myself but like i said if you do really believe in 2021 ryan nelson now's probably the best time to try to get him and not have to give up much of anything um lastly for stock down uh we're going back to LA with the Dodgers. And um, this might be a surprise to some to see this name land on stock down. Um, that's shortstop Jacob Amaya. And given his overall numbers for 2022, it's pretty respectable. His slash line is 251, 351, 453 um, with the slugging. 11 home runs, 10 doubles. But when you look at his performance since he's been promoted to AAA Oklahoma City, and I know that it's much smaller sample size, but it's important. It's been kind of a nightmare scenario. Now, all of a sudden, when you distill it down to the 69 plate appearances at AAA, it's a 213-290-311 slash line. And um, there's still more than enough time for Amaya to turn it around. But what really concerns me is for a player that's always been um, considered more hit over power anyway. So... You know, he, he was not seen as being much of a thumper, but a guy that can spray the ball around has really good plate discipline. K rate has doubled since going to AAA. Walk rate has been cut almost in half, and the ground ball rate is starting to tick upwards. Again, relatively small sample size, I understand, but things that you really don't want to see, especially at that high level for um, a guy with the the pedigree of Amaya. Um, ultimately, I think he's gone from looking like he might be right on the doorstep of the major leagues between last season and the start to the season while he was still at double A Tulsa. Now, all of a sudden, it seems like he needs to continue at triple A, not only to finish out this season, but probably at least to begin 2023 and see if he can stabilize some things and make some adjustments. The nice thing about all this is obviously the Dodgers aren't looking to rush him to have Trey Turner at shortstop. So I think they're going to be okay um, for some time. So repeating AAA for him is not the worst thing. He's turning 24 in September. So he's still right age appropriate for the level. Nothing wrong there. I think it's possible that we might see him again uh, at least for a little bit in Arizona come October for another uh, stint in the Arizona Fall League. Um, may not be for the whole season, but maybe for another couple of weeks. So I think there is a buy low window that's presenting itself for Maya. But I do think uh, you have to consider that his ceiling might be a bit lower than what we previously thought as well. So perhaps he's less of an everyday shortstop with those above average play skills. Maybe he's more of a platoon middle infielder. Um, he does a little bit of everything, but nothing that's really stand out. And, uh, Again, I'm always hesitant when it comes to straight comparisons, but when I think about what it reminds me of, I, I think about I think about the Dodgers rivals in San Francisco, and they have a player that fits that criteria in Tyro Estrada. Estrada is not the hitter that Amaya has been previously when you look at uh, minor league numbers, but 
uh, Estrada plays both middle infield spots pretty well. He's actually recently got left field eligibility and fan tracks, at least. Um, I don't know about other platforms, but that's helpful as well. Uh, he's shown the ability to ambush a fastball for a home run. He doesn't walk much, but he can steal a base for you. So, again, kind of, um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none sort of situation. And I'm not saying that that's Amaya's fate uh, specifically, but I think that's part of his potential outcomes. And you should consider that if you're trading for him. So, you know, what would you give for Tyro Estrada right now? And if you think Amaya might go that route, you might want to value similarly. Now, if you think it's a blip against small sample size, he just needs to adjust to AAA level. And there's still a lot more there, especially from the hit side. Um, something where, yeah, he might never hit 20 home runs for you out of the shortstop spot, but he can play on both sides of second base and he can uh, boost that OBP for you. If you're thinking that he's more of that player, you know, Keep that in mind. And if you have Amaya on your team, I think it's very important for you to figure out what he represents for you. Um, it's kind of a Rorschach uh, test for you to figure out where you think his um, outcomes are likely. And again, trying to configure that in with how the Dodgers are as a team, I think um, can always be tricky and difficult because as we mentioned before with Gavin Stone, they can always kind of go out and get external pieces to cover up what um guys internally can represent and some of those internal guys can go in part of those trades so there could be a jacob amaya trade if they see hey we need you know uh, another uh, outfielder or we need another pitcher or something of that nature um they're fine just like they did with josiah gray and cabert ruiz you know we thought for sure oh this is going to be part of the you know, new class of Dodgers that had no problem with shipping them out smartly enough, obviously, um, to get back some major pieces when it comes to uh, Turner and Scherzer. And they they still were fine because they had Diego Cartea um, right there backing up and they had guys that they had drafted in Beater and Miller and Knack and Stone, uh, to name a few, that, you know, their pitching isn't hurt for it. So I think the same thing happened with Amaya. You still have, uh, even though he's he's more of a corner infielder um, and Miguel Vargas, you still have some guys uh, in the Dodgers system that if Amaya did need to get traded by the Dodgers in order for them to gain something at the deadline to, to make a, another playoff push, I think, um, you know, they, they'd be fine uh, pulling the trigger on that deal. And, you know, you might want to evaluate, hey, where is he going? Uh, again, if we look at Gray and Ruiz, that opened up a ton of playing time for them. And it took a couple of years, but I think Ruiz is a perfectly fine catcher. Uh, again, he, he's he's a catcher in the modern day major leagues, which means he's, you know, it, it doesn't take much to be fine. But I, I think he's suitable enough. And Gray, I, I'm actually very high on Gray. I tried to trade for him after getting a really good question through Reddit. I'm on a bit of a tangent. I apologize, but I got a really good question on Reddit about Josiah Gray that made me dig into his numbers and his underlying numbers are really good. Even if some of the county stats haven't shown it. Uh, so I actually tried to trade for him. Didn't work out, but I think the nationals have something in Josiah Gray uh, that's going to show up very well for them. So, you know, sometimes these trades by the Dodgers work out well, almost for everybody involved from a fantasy standpoint. So Jacob Amaya, 
like I said, a bit of a Rorschach test. If you have him on your team, if you don't have him on your team, things to consider, uh, again, his potential outcomes. Is he an everyday shortstop? Is he going to be able to hit uh, well enough and represent enough value for you there? Or is he more valuable because he may not play um, every day, but he can kind of mix and match uh, and come in maybe in 400 at-bats and, and produce for you instead of the 600 at-bats uh, of an everyday guy. So with that being said, that finishes up the NL West and the National League as a whole for stock up, stock down. Um, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcherless pods on the Pitcherless Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcherless for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Articles are pretty much the same as we always talk about minor league player and pitcher of the week. I will admit the farm system column. I'm still debating on what to do about that. It hasn't really worked the way I was hoping. It hasn't really been representative the way I was hoping. So it might get 86. I don't know. Um, I might tweak it. I still haven't decided yet. Uh, if I do junk it, then I definitely want to replace it because I, I still want to have kind of two different dynasty and prospect related uh, columns for you all to see on a weekly basis. So we'll, we'll talk through that more. Uh, I'm hoping I, I need to grab some some guests, but I'm hoping to have a draft um, related podcast soon um, in time for major league draft because I really want to jump into that. I think that's going to be very relevant, obviously, for dynasty players um, as as you prep. Everybody has their FYPDs at different time and everybody has different rules on how to grab guys out of the draft. But I think just covering who's out there, um, what skill sets are, what values could possibly be and, and potential could possibly be is going to just be super helpful. So I want to try to get that together. Hopefully it will come together for you all. Um, you can find me on Reddit. I don't talk up Reddit a bunch, but you can find me on Reddit mostly uh, through the AMAs that are hosted by Scott Shue on Fridays. So every Friday, PitcherList has an Ask Me Anything. Um, Scott Shue is typically our host and, and person to set it up. And I'm normally creeping in there, um, looking to pick off any questions uh, about prospects, some dynasty related stuff. I try to stay away from trade talks. Um, I know I've gotten some some pings and some questions about trades. It's not really my forte just because I know, A, I just have a bad track record of making very terrible trades, if I'm very honest. Um, but also, I know everybody's leagues and managers are different. Valuations are different. Um, but, you know, I'm happy to talk it out with you if you just need a sounding board. Uh, but other than that, like I say, you can kind of find me um, mostly lurking in the AMA on Friday. Um so if you have any sort of prospect specific questions, uh, I will try to grab them and answer them for you. Uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball. Um, and that's capital I, capital F. Uh, on Reddit, uh, it's the username is Inside Fastball. That's all lowercase. So all lowercase on Reddit, capital I, capital F, Inside Fastball on Twitter. And I'm also uh, quite active on the PitcherList Discord server, mostly, again, hanging out in the Prospects and Dynasty channel. So, and that's under my real name. Uh, so you can find me on Discord as well if you are part of the PitcherList Discord community. With that being said, I hope you all enjoy your fourth and enjoy the rest of your day.